Be who you are. Dream what you really want to do. Then, do it. Be, dream, do. Living by Design, the radio show is focused on people sharing their stories of how they were able to understand what they were really passionate about, had the courage to dream big, and then did it. Now, join the conversation. Well, hello, listeners. Welcome back to Be Dream Do Radio. It's wonderful to have you here with us. I'm here with my son, Sean, and uh, we've got our director here, Rob, and we got our special guest, Mark Mata. Special guest and a dear friend for several years, creative director, uh, copywriter, and uh, producer par excellence. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, it's really great to have you. Um, so, uh, Mark, I think as we mentioned, we have people here on the show from all sorts of different backgrounds. And, uh, you know, you've always struck me as someone who just was really passionate about what you did i remember back in the days in high school mark where you got excited about uh pictures that you drew i remember this one picture where a chicken was hatching out of a guy's head oh, yeah. remember that oh yeah <laughs> yeah that was a, that was a strange one yeah yeah well i can think of a few other stranger things that you did perhaps mark but um tell me how you went from you know those early days to the work that you're doing today well, it was totally by happenstance. I started off as uh, as an artist in high school and then in college. My major was actually three-dimensional art and, and uh, ceramics. So I thought one day I'd be sitting at a potter's wheel in Sedona making coffee mugs for tourists. And <laughs> instead, I ended up getting into advertising just by chance. Uh, my brother had... Uh, had worked at an ad agency. He started yeah. off as a disc jockey here in town in Phoenix and ended up uh, meeting different agency people and went to work for one and then started his own advertising agency right. out of his house. Right. And so I joined him just as an art director. So I'd spend my time after school going over there and designing right. ads and pasting them up. So Yeah, you say just as an art director. Uh, I think that really uh, minimizes... Uh, the impact that you had on a lot of things that that you did uh and i i guess i've seen a lot of your creative work that showed up on menus that showed up oh. <laughs> restaurants across the town uh as well as in in different companies what are some of the companies that uh, that you served if you feel free to sharing that oh i worked in a lot of times in advertising you get sort of keyhole yeah. for better or worse into a particular category so yeah. i've done a lot of Hospitality, so uh, major hotel chains, Wyndham Luxury Collection around the world, mm-hmm. uh, a lot here in the Metro Phoenix area, all the mm-hmm. big hotels and resorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've worked with a lot of home builders around the country from Florida and South Carolina to Nevada with the Howard Hughes Corporation and in the Phoenix area with Del Webb building the biggest uh, oh, yeah. community in the country. Yeah. And so, again, my start as an art director. I wasn't planning on being a writer, but it was, yeah. uh, I got into it and I found out it's a lot easier and you go better places when you're a writer producer. You can right. jump on a plane and go to New York to produce music as opposed <laughs> to being chained to a drawing board all day. Uh-huh, or, or in uh-huh. today's parlance, you'd be sitting in front of a computer all day, never moving. So right, right, right. that's what got me into writing. But I, I'm not a writer by training, but that's what I've done for the past 45 years, I guess. Yeah, so. I mean, you're quite good at it. 
Well, it it uh, it sort of came to me, and maybe it's better that I didn't have particular training in it because I can yeah. write what I think instead yeah. of following some formula. Yeah, yeah. So you know, curious about um, you know how you stumbled upon this. You said it was happenstance, but yeah. what is it? What situation created was created that allowed you to run into this? Well, it really was just uh, going to work and helping my brother build his agency. So yeah. we started off just he and I and ended up having a group as big as 70-some people with mm-hmm. offices here in, in, and in L.A. So mm-hmm. uh, that was sort of the, the background there. And then from there, I was wooed away by different ad agencies over the years right. to, to work on different projects. So. I worked at uh, several of the top shops in the Southwest mm-hmm. as their creative director, supervising a, a you know half dozen art directors and a half a dozen writers and producers and production people. So, yeah, um, and so how is it that the you know the things that came to you naturally, like the the drawing and the I always remember you with a good sense of humor, the wit. Mm-hmm. How did all of that? serve you when this opportunity presented itself? Well, I think in advertising, since there is no real formula, a lot of what we do is, uh, you know, coming up with ideas just sort of dancing in our head. And I've always been sort of a contrarian with that. So I think of what would be expected and then Mm -hmm. think of what 180 degrees from that would be and see how that fits in there. And sometimes that gives you a better start Mm -hmm. of a concept by doing exactly what it shouldn't be doing so Mm -hmm, it's sort mm -hmm. of zigging when others zag has paid off for me over the years yeah that's um yeah that's interesting what what were your biggest challenges when you first started when we were moving that from that in that transition from artist like you said you were going you're going to be this you know doing pottery in sedona kind of a thing right um what were your biggest challenges as you moved from that into the Space of you know working with your brother and mm-hmm. being the uh, creative uh, yeah. artist in that space. Well, a lot of it is in just learning on the job, as you do with any job. But when uh-huh. it comes working with with family, you know, you're pretty much you take out the the trash in addition to producing the TV spot or something like that early yeah. on. Yeah. And so uh, you know, I learned a lot about the technical aspect of of advertising and everything from how a print shop works and. Right. To how to, you know, produce a TV commercial or, mm-hmm. or video or you know whatever. So it's it gave me a well-rounded background, and that's why to this day, art directors that don't know my background will be surprised when I discuss a concept and I start drawing it out, and it's like I didn't know you knew how to draw because they just thought of me as a writer and right, right. And uh, that was my side of the business, but I'm kind of like a uh, whatever you call a switch hitter, you know, being able to bat in one direction and then right. turn around and do it in the other. So yeah, yeah. Did you have any? Um, yeah, I guess you know what what failures did you have when you first started out? Like you know, big whoa! I didn't. I well, wasn't expecting this. A lot of times in advertising, I can't think of one in particular. I probably blotted them out of my memory. But when you lose, <laughs> yeah, you know, when you lose a big account, uh, you know, that's when you. Uh, you know, and a lot of times you'll have people in the business that'll be, you know, a, an art director will be angry because the client wants his logo to be blue instead of green, mm. and the art director is ready to cancel the, you know, kill the whole account over a color. Yeah. And it's like, okay, right. you go down the hall and you pick out a half a dozen people for us to let go because you want to stick to your guns on yeah. blue versus green, you know, yeah. so you actually have. 
you know, it's like running a family, uh, you know, because ad agency sort of breaks up half into the account side and media side and then the other half in the creative side. So yeah. you sort of stand up for your people, but there are times when you need to do tough love and, and tell them what you think. So Yeah, that's an interesting balance. Um, when you're trying to get almost be democratic in arriving at mm-hmm. a certain decision, and then yeah. finally you got to go, well, yeah, but this is what we're going to do. Sure. Yeah, there's this one uh, yeah. uh, producer, and I believe he's still around, yeah. uh, called Alan Barsman in Hollywood. And he was best known for, uh, he was the voice on the Energizer Bunny commercial. He yeah. made about a zillion dollars with a line, they keep going and going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort yeah. of nasally guy. And they used yeah. the same take of that for like 15 years or so. Uh-huh. And uh, Alan said, you know, you have a... I forget what the phrase was, but like a sound cue or something. Uh, and I said, what do you mean? What's that? He says, you always say that's great because in sessions we'll do like 30 takes and I'll start off with, that's great. But on this take, let's go ahead and do it oh. this way or that way. <laughs> I had never thought about it before. It made me sort of self-conscious <laughs> saying that, but that was my positivity, trying not to yeah, insult yeah. both the, the talent as well as the, you know, the engineer to, you yeah. know, keep things moving. So, yeah. Well, I guess what would the opposite of that be? Um. In what way? Well, yeah. what would the opposite be of that? If that's great, I mean, that, oh, yeah. that you or other yeah. people say, right? Oh no, I guess it would be. You know, that's terrible. That, that didn't <laughs> yeah. work at all. In fact, with the the, the same uh, producer, I remember doing yeah. a session uh, with this one talent who has a real sort of New Yorky uh, dry read to him, yeah. very nasally, and I can't remember his name, but he. Uh, we did the first take, and the, the fellow talks like this. It was kind of almost like the, the Honey Nut Cheerio B guy, Alan Stang, but it wasn't him. Anyhow, um, and we do a take, and the client's listening in uh, on the phone from Phoenix to Hollywood, yeah. and she goes, he just sounds terrible. <laughs> and I'm sitting there as close as I am to you, and I'm looking at the guy, and he's looking at me like, you hired me for my voice. This is my delivery. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I said, well, that's, you know, saying to the client, that you heard the tape, and that's the voice we have, and so that's why we're going to work with that today. Because I thought she figured she could just speak in confidence because all she could hear yeah. was my voice over the phone. Right. She didn't realize there were about ten people in the room all yeah. looking at me as to what to do next. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good one. So, uh, what's the situation where uh, you felt like you really hit the ball out of the park? A lot of times with me in writing, mm-hmm. uh, when I would write a, a headline or a theme line mm-hmm. that I knew was going to be around for a while, I could mm-hmm. just feel it. It's sort of a second sense, and it and that's when you really just sit there and and you know and swell up with pride, knowing that that, that that's uh, that that's it. Uh-huh. And so, uh, you know, and I've written several of those that end up being the kind that if you had a nickel for every time it appeared, you yeah. know, that they're 25 years later, they're still using the same theme line on something. So you figure, well, that's kind of nice to have contributed that to society. Although writing is just, you know, that's why I don't take anything too seriously. Right, Year, right. Years ago in Aspen, there was a creative director from 
London speaking, and he was talking about how uh, somebody said to him, now, why are all the British commercials so clever compared to the American ones? And he said, well, in Great Britain, if we're advertising a candy bar, we just say, this is a good candy bar. You might want to try it. I think you'll like it. And he says, in America, it's like grab them by the collar and scream, eat this candy bar, eat this candy <laughs> And it was so true. That was the difference between you know ad- American advertising yeah, versus yeah. The, the droll wit of the, of the Brits there. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I always uh, try to keep that in mind with everything. It's not... Uh, it's not brain surgery or yeah. or anything like that. So you have to have fun with it and just sort of go with the flow. Yeah. So it's interesting. You know, you talk about wit. Uh, um, I don't know if you've seen this most recent Geico commercial mm-hmm. that ties in with the World Cup. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that? Sure. The one where he's sliding on his yeah. knees. And yeah. I thought that was brilliant yeah. because that's yeah. something that we've all seen. <laughs> And he took one little nuance of something and turned it into a hilarious, memorable thing. Because so often everything seems so derivative in advertising, but that was a a fresh take. And the good thing with Geico, when you think about it, uh, they run, what's unusual about them, they were the first advertiser to run several different campaigns, so they became their own competition. Usually mm-hmm. if you're, you know, tied detergent, you're running against, you know, whatever other detergent. Right, right. And you have your own look and feel and attitude. Well, Geico came up with everything from the Geico gecko to That's the right. guy sliding on his knees. To, yeah. And so as a result, they get a bigger share of market by uh, – by having two or three campaigns, each one perhaps drawing a different audience, yeah, and so that's yeah. how they, you know, get a came from not necessarily out of nowhere, yeah. but became so uh, a major player because of doing something and thinking outside the box. Because yeah. when you sell insurance, you're not really selling, you know, insurance. The whole idea is you're you're selling security. It's like they say, yeah, yeah. you know, when somebody. You know, you want to advertise a drill. You're not advertising a drill. You're ultimately you're advertising holes. That's what people uh-huh. want is uh-huh. they want holes, not a piece of a piece of equipment in their hand. And so that's how it is uh, with insurance too. But they don't get overly modeling about it or uh-huh. or all that. In fact, they don't even address what they do really. If you think about it, the the gecko's not telling you anything in particular. He's yeah. just being snarky and fun and. That's their approach. Now, that wouldn't work for everybody because on the other side yeah. of things, you have you're in good hands with Allstate or yeah. things like that that speak more to the true sensibilities of insurance yeah. coverage. Yeah. So. so, you know, you talk about the different audiences. I recall, if I'm not mistaken, that I think it was Geico that used the, the Neanderthal man, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that So was, uh, that one appealed to me, I say, of all sure. the ones, right? And I think you might know why, right? So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, early on, that that was a great one, and it really made them stand out. Nobody would have thought of having that as your spokesperson yeah, on it, yeah. and, and as a result, they got a lot of attention for that. So I, I had a, a sense of disappointment when they disappeared. Oh, yeah. Well, with a lot of these, you yeah. do, but that could go, you know, you think back of some of the great campaigns over the years, and, mm. and when they go away, yeah. you, uh, you know, you mourn them as if a close friend went away, but then within a few months, you get another right. favorite going, right. but... You know, now, you know, whether it's the Taco Bell Chihuahua or whether it's, uh-huh. you know, di- different iconic things, the Pillsbury right. Doughboy who's been around forever. Right, right. It was so, the Michelin Man, too. Yeah, Michelin Man's been yeah. Bib, the yeah. Michelin Man. That's yeah. His. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when did you realize that you were doing what you really loved? Well, I think it's when you, you do get that, you know, feeling of of enjoyment of hitting it out of the park you know uh-huh. it isn't so much the the uh 
the work that leads up to it, it's when you see it all come in together. It's mm -hmm. like a, a chef when you get done preparing the meal and you taste it and you say, okay, that's perfect. I've mm -hmm. worked on this recipe for years and tried a million different variations and I think I finally nailed it. And that's how it is in, in advertising mm -hmm. is you, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that's, it's, you know, although every step of the way can be enjoyable, although there's certain parts, you know, you'd like better than the others. If you're not a big people person, you don't necessarily yeah. enjoy going into boardrooms with 20 people looking mm -hmm. up at you, but mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, part of the job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but anyhow, there's a lot of different aspects to it. What's fun about advertising is you have a myriad of clients. Mm -hmm. You're doing something different every day. You know, mm -hmm. one day you're producing a TV commercial, another yeah. day you're writing headlines or or going to a printer to see this, or you're flying to New York to produce music, or yeah. whatever. So there's something fresh, and each client is different. So one day mm -hmm. you're doing an insurance commercial, the next day you're doing a home builder, the next day you're doing a, a public service announcement for the yeah. United Way and trying to do some tear-jerking work for them and, right, right. and things like that. So it does give you something different. It isn't sitting at an assembly line putting together widgets eight hours a day. It's, uh, it's fresh each day, and you're not... Uh, Although in, in today's day and age, because of computer dominance and everything we do, you do tend to stay in front of a computer far more than uh, in the old days of a drawing board and, right. and a typewriter. You know, nowadays... Everything's CAD, right? You yeah, know, yeah. Everything's yeah. produced and everything is... Well, it, you know, you could be the world's greatest art director and not have use of your uh, your arms or legs or mm -hmm. eyes or anything mm -hmm. because... Mm -hmm. In the old days, if I came up with a great headline and the headline needed an image of a monkey playing a banjo, I'd say, <laughs> go to L.A., get the monkey wrangler and get a studio here yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. buy some bananas and get a banjo and we'll shoot a <laughs> shot of a monkey playing a banjo. Right. Now wow. you go online, type in monkey playing banjo, and you have yeah. 100 different images <laughs> to choose right. from. So it, it really has expanded yeah. what you can do and yeah. can't do. And uh, the same thing in, in production. There were times when, I mean, I'd go to San Francisco for the better part mm. of a week to make a logo move around on the screen and now everybody's home computer can do that in 30 seconds but it yeah. would take me several days and right on a nice expense account in san francisco so that's the part i long for <laughs> <laughs> uh, technology uh, doesn't always have the upsides right <laughs> there's right. some downsides to sure. it like, uh, i long for the days when uh you know when i'd go on vacation and i was truly on vacation because no one could contact me, that's but, true but that world is no longer here no it's uh, true no longer here at all so, you know, Mark, you were mentioning that, um, you know, well, some of, the, some of the things you were most proud of is when, you've, when you wrote something and you just knew mm -hmm. intuitively that this was it. Sure. And uh, you didn't say it, but it, it sounded like to me that you knew even before you played it with anybody, that you just kind mm -hmm. of, you knew in your own heart of hearts. Sure. So how in the world, where does that feeling come from, Mark? Well, it, sometimes it actually is working in your subconscious. I uh -huh. remember one for a, a client uh, on the extreme west side of Metro Phoenix called Estrella Mountain Ranch. Uh -huh. And I was sitting in line at Arby's getting an Arby's kids meal for my son. Yeah. And it occurred to me with Estrella, the uh, you know word in Spanish for star. Yeah, yeah. And the song hit me, and I don't think it came on the radio. I think it just sort of came into my mind. Was yeah. "Good Morning Starshine." Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. Ended up uh, buying the rights to that and going yeah. to, to Nashville to produce the music, and 
just that one little thought took uh, quite a while, but it was wildly successful, and it won us the account, which we had for several years, and uh, and it was interesting. And they, there again, you know, that one thing brought probably 20 people into play from all the musicians to the licensing agents. To, yeah, yeah. We had to get in contact with the, uh, the agents. Uh, the, the artist's name was Oliver, and the agent right, was right. out of London. And so we had to negotiate a deal with that. And uh, I remember when I uh, I called my producer in, in Nashville, and he yeah. sort of put it to work. And it was going to cost, for a 13-week cycle, like $25,000. Right. And so my boss at the time said, so you, you got the music, what's it going to cost? I said, like, twenty five, And he goes, 2500 I said, no, 25000 <laughs> And he grabbed his head and was stomping around. Oh, God, we've lost the account before we started on it and all that. So well, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll be the one selling it to the clients. Yeah, so I yeah. sold it to the client, said for 13 weeks it'll be 25000 And the client looked thoughtfully, didn't question the amount. He said, how much for twice that, for six months, you know, half-year cycle? And I said, well, let me go check. And it was slightly less than double. Yeah, and yeah. and then bring it back to the client. And he goes, how much for a year? This is after the fact. And my producer friend says, boy, I hope he's not jerking these people around. Yeah. We're right, getting right. tired of the repeat yeah, phone yeah, calls yeah, yeah, and stuff. Yeah. They ended up doing a two-year buyout of the wow. song oh just gosh. because they were so in love with the concept. And yeah, so we yeah. went ahead and produced it we couldn't even we could have used the original song but uh so many of the original players had passed away so there were all kinds of uh different families involved in legal ramifications yeah yeah so anyhow we ended up producing it from scratch in nashville and it it worked very successfully so and all this started with you sitting down at art was it arby's is where this happened yeah no just in the drive-thru i just drive there and it's like that's it It sort of occurred to me. So. Oh, that's a thing of beauty, Mark. That's yeah, just a yeah, thing of beauty. Yeah, it was fun. So that's when you never know where the ideas are going to come from or when, yeah. when they're going to hit you. So, Yeah, yeah. Um, what is it that uh, you do to get yourself, I don't know, more sensitized to these ideas that just well, come to you? Yeah, well, the, the first of all, you have to put yourself in the mindset of the uh, – of the prospect of the viewer of the commercial. So that's the thing that separates, I think, the really good uh, creative people from just sort of the also ran ones. Because a lot of times you'll see an ad and it'll be written, you know, they're writing it for a Sun City retirement right. group, but it's written in the uh, in the voice of the 25-year-old writer who came up with it. So to be able to, to have empathy for your audience you have to put yourself into a you know little old lady retiring or right, something that right, doesn't right. mean you do a, a stereotypical headline for you sure. to treat them as is you know being currently with it as as much as anybody but you do have to put yourself into those uh shoes i remember one time we were working on an ad campaign for blue cross blue shield and uh-huh. we were in a uh a focus group session where you're sitting behind the one-way glass looking at the people. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so they brought in the ads, and I had my art director sitting next to me. They brought in the ads mounted on boards, and they started handing them around the table, and all of these people started... They get the ad and they'd go like this and they're squinting at it. And I, my art director, she was shrinking before my very eyes because she realized, you know, he had plenty of white space, but yeah. the, the font was too uh, too small and they yeah. couldn't read it. So it's like, well, here's a retirement group that can't read the ad that we're going to be running in the newspaper. What does that tell you? So there again, you have to think through the eyes of, yeah. of somebody like that. And so... Uh, 
there's those learning moments that that uh, make you realize you know they're good teaching moments but you don't want to have to do it on someone else's dime you know it's good to, yeah. and that's why focus testing on things like that are good because you mm-hmm. get to make the the type bigger before it runs in the newspaper mm-hmm. so 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 you know you say you put yourself in the i guess in the heads of or the minds of of uh, the people that you're focusing on mm-hmm. um how do you know you're successful at doing that well, uh, you know, clinically, you know, because they'll do post-buy analyses of a media buy to see what kind of response they got to the ads. And yeah. so the proof is in the pudding there so yeah, that you're not yeah. just having fun spending the client's money to yeah. go do something silly. It has to have results. Uh-huh. Um, and so there's an old advertising adage that good advertising will just help a bad product fail faster. Right. And, you know, because people say, oh, you're selling people things they don't need and all right. that. But right. no, it's not true. If you have a, a terrible restaurant and you advertise it and get a big crowd out to see it and they all get sick, yeah. the restaurant's not going to be around a long time. Whereas right. if your advertising right. didn't draw many people, you yeah. have the account for years and they couldn't figure out what's wrong with it because they don't have a big enough uh, yeah. sampling of the world you know, coming through their company. So as as fun as all of this is, and as inspirational as it is in terms of having that intuitive connection and knocking the ball out of the park, the rubber still has to meet the road, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, you, you know, clinically, you sure. look at the, what are the results, right? Mm-hmm. And so what you've done is you've connected intuitive thought, right, mm-hmm. uh, to actually making a difference in exposure to customers. And that translates to additional sales, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's basically uh, the... That's fascinating. Yeah, that's the process there. So, and if it doesn't work, then you, you know... A lot of times, too, when you're mm-hmm. presenting to a client, you're coming up with multiple campaigns. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, you may have one, just like Geico does, you know, you may present to the client three or four totally different ways to go and... Mm-hmm. and uh, and discuss the nuances of each and see, you know, mm-hmm. if certain ones they like. But, again, you have to keep reminding them to put themselves in the mindset of their consumer, too, because mm-hmm. um, they had a supermarket chain client for, for years, a Kroger chain that's uh, in Phoenix's Fries. And we, uh, this is, this will really date me, but the, uh, the image we had was an animated campaign with a price stamper would be bouncing from product to product. Oh, yeah. Back in the days, we'd yeah, stamp yeah, on a I price instead yeah. of having a UPC code yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we go and show the idea to the client, and the client uh, takes it home and thinks about it, and he shows it to his kid, and he says, my kid doesn't like the... The commercial. I said, "Well, how often does your kid buy the groceries?" You know, <laughs> it's, sort of like, it's not. It's not relevant to him. That's the the whole purpose. of This thing is is yeah, making yeah. sure that it's uh, yeah. relevant to the end user of it. So, yeah, you're not out there to please all people, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you got to keep. And, and that's the whole thing in advertising. You know, you come up with a with a strategy to start with through yeah. research and, and insight. And you present that to the client, and if mm-hmm. they buy out, buy off on that, it actually opens up the creative possibilities because they're buying off on the direction. And so, as long as your creative, you know, helps further that direction, whether it's a 
whether it is a monkey playing the banjo or whether it's a sincere spokesman or something, as long as it's irrefutable, you know, in addressing the, the situation at hand, you're not getting into whether they like this actor or that one in the commercial or, or this style of music or that. You know, you, you have to keep bringing them back to. Now, mm -hmm. the end result we want to get is increased sales or mm -hmm. increased awareness if it's a, you know, if it's a public service campaign or touch heartstrings or whatever. So, yeah, yeah. you know, because otherwise everybody becomes a, uh, you know, becomes their own art director. And the whole idea, another advertising line is why buy a dog and then bark yourself? You know, it's like you hired <laughs> us to you hired us to do this job. So why are you, you know, not letting us do it? And so and that's what happens because anytime you get a group of people together, it's even worse uh -huh. because um, one time, in fact, we're working on the United Way campaign for for Arizona and I went down to present, and it was yeah. all the people, and it's all these big captains of industry who donate their time to be part of the United mm -hmm. Way, you know, board. And so I go in there, and there's like 20 people around a big conference table, and we're showing stuff, and people mm -hmm. start offering suggestions and stuff. And our position was, you know, look, we're doing this for free. We're good at what we do. You either take what we do, because we're not getting paid for it, or we're going to leave. You know, we're not here to be a scribe for your thoughts because we know how to do advertising way better than you do because you've never done it before so yeah yeah quit telling me how to do this you yeah, know so yeah. they they got quiet real quick and it ended up uh winning a golden lion in london so Terrific. there's uh those kind of campaigns that uh that can pay off you know you just have to stand up for what's right so creatively speaking it's almost like you're always working just finding ways to connect with people in mm -hmm. different markets yeah. Oh, yeah. You're always uh, having to think. And, and sometimes it's three or four situations like that in one day. You go from doing a, a Del Webb Sun City brochure into doing something for a nightclub locally that appeals to college kids. And so you have to be able to switch your mind. It's probably good to have a sort of a schizo personality <laughs> that you can, you can change hats that quickly. So you must really, you must really love doing that because uh, you're just always involved in it 24 7 um would you say there's it's exciting in another way that you you're always um able to learn about different groups and oh, communities sure. as well well that's the fun thing is you do become a sort of a jack of all trades and and i've always been sort of a had an unusual mind when it came to trivia or things like that and so you end up learning a lot about stuff so i know with uh, with friends and clients and all that they'll bring up something and, and I'll have an answer for it and they'll look at me like how did you know that and it's just because you learn it over the years you know one time we were doing some advertising in San Francisco and in uh, the city magazine there was called 7 by 7 and the you know my boss at the time said you know why did they call the magazine that and I said well San Francisco and San Francisco County both are 7 miles by 7 miles and so that's the, <laughs> the name for the magazine he just gave me a weird look so <laughs> Fun but facts. it's those kind of like yeah little little things that pop up and you just happen to know them to the point of it being obnoxious at times but it's kind of fun do you have a, a favorite part of the entire process in terms of like writing or producing well, yeah you know writing is actually the the most fun that i would have is creating things like a theme line or something that you know is going to last for a while a lot of the boilerplate kind of things. I always say I'm a sprinter when it comes to writing, not a marathon runner. And so I've had people that would work with me who would 
you know, could write a 12-page brochure and it'd be perfect, and they'd show it to me, and they'd leave little gaps for subheads, so I'd write some twist of phrase for each paragraph or something like that, and that came quickly to me, uh, but not to them, and vice versa. So it's great to have people that can do the do the heavy lifting, and then you just come in and, you know, can you eat that cherry off of that Sunday? I don't want that. Okay. <laughs> I'll be back in my room. You know, so that's kind of how it works. So what is, like, your process in terms of writing? They they give you a general concept. How much are you involved in creating it? Is it different per... Well, a lot of times it is just totally... I mean, it starts off as a blank slate, but you do have research that you're reading, and you have a positioning statement done by the marketing people, and so they're the ones that, that uh, set up a situation analysis. You discuss what, you know, who the prospect is, uh, what, the, what the actual physical thing is, whether it's a master plan community, you'd say it's this thing in this part of town, and it's going to, you know, upon build-out, it'll have 30,000 homes, and, you know, and 70,000 people will live in this area, you know, after 30 years of, of build-out. And, you know, here's who the audience is. Here's, uh, and so... And sometimes it is you have to get uh, you have to think because one, for instance, Anthem, which is a, a huge master plan community on the extreme north side of Phoenix, when it was first uh, conceived, they were terrified about how um, how to get people to drive that extra distance, and so. <laughs> Our marketing people, and this was my brother's concept, he created an idea called the time famine, and it's, you know, nobody has enough time in their life, but the idea with this particular master plan community, which was huge, they planned in advance to have, you know, everything from a hospital to grocery stores to this or that, so you never had to address the fact that you're driving that extra five miles more than other people would. It's the fact that once you get there, you have everything you want there, from schools built and, and all that, so, I mean, they... They built their own uh, off-ramp to the freeway, brought in their own water supply, uh, built their own trash system, and and, uh, did it all right from scratch. And that was the the idea behind that, and it was wildly successful. On opening day, there were helicopters flying over the freeway because of traffic jams. And and, uh, and I remember our marketing, not ours, but the client's marketing director was standing on a chair yelling at people to take a number because people were buying them so quickly. The home, these are homes too. My goodness. And so, you know, and and it was a lot of speculators buying, but it was like, uh, you know, you don't (laughs) take a number. And so they, you know, kept adding to the price every day that up it, and they couldn't... uh, couldn't stop selling them and the client said in a meeting like what can we do to dissuade traffic and i suggested we could change the headline to this place sucks but (laughs) she she didn't think that was a good idea so as a result uh but it did well it ended up breaking records from levittown in new york from the 1950s so it uh you know sales records that had stood for you know 50 years suddenly were falling by the wayside it's kind of like drive the extra mile for convenience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. But yeah. that's the thing. You had to put yeah. people, you know, saying this is your time to, to decompress as you're driving home and yeah. all that. Yeah. And and now it doesn't seem that far out of town. I remember early on no. I, I suggested, uh, <laughs> uh, do we want to put proximity to Prescott, which is a city far, like yeah. 100 miles north of Phoenix. And they looked at me in horror like, no, that's exactly what we don't want yeah, to say is right, right. how close it is to this faraway city but uh as it was just plain desert out there there wasn't much of anything and now it's a a huge community and it defines the north side of phoenix so yeah that's that really impressive so creative and art 
and then creative in writing. Mm-hmm. So, in what other ways are you creative? Oh, not many. <laughs> no, I mean, actually, I do a lot of other side things. I, you know, I compete uh, on barbecue competitions and yeah. things like that for fun. So, uh, so yeah, you know, you always have to have different side things. So a lot, yeah, a lot yeah. of people, you know, are also musicians or this or that for yeah. creative outlets. A lot of people paint on their own and, and mm-hmm. all of that. But uh, my years in the business made me sort of a, a you know, a quick draw expert and so you know people say oh do you still paint and do pottery it's like no i might sketch out something for 30 seconds to show somebody the concept yeah, and then right, right. and then that's it but i don't sit there and and you know, i've done a few paintings over yeah. the years but uh so i happen to uh, have had the privilege to personally try some of your barbecue which oh. is just probably the best doggone barbecue i've ever had oh thank you so you know uh and i'll just say for the benefit of the listeners uh, we're not talking to someone who just cooks in his backyard he participates in contests and he's participated in so many contests that he now judges barbecue events so tell us Mm -hmm. a little bit about that well it's a lot of fun there's a lot of teams competing around the southwest and uh they come in, and there's usually four categories with most barbecue competitions where you do uh, ribs, chicken, uh, pulled pork, and beef brisket. And so you judge each of them on taste, tenderness, and appearance. And uh, and so now I, I basically instruct the judges what to, not so much what to look for, but uh, but how to use their own opinion and taste to, to score things, you know, and, and treat each entry as its own, like the only thing you ate that day is this one. So you don't say, that other one was better than this. You know, you actually, you could give all top scores or all bottom scores, depending on your feeling about what you're eating there. So it's a fun business to be in. Now it's on TV all the time and all that. But uh, anyhow, you know, I've always enjoyed cooking and I've had a lot of restaurant clients. And so I've worked in test kitchens with them, coming up with recipes and things. So it's kind of a fun thing to do yeah you've actually mixed some um other concoctions i believe that i, I recall you bringing over to the house a couple oh, of sure times. yeah well yeah, and yeah, i and yeah. i uh, my father-in-law and i made homemade wine for 20 yeah. or 30 years there yeah. and all legal just for our yeah. oh yeah no, our it's, listeners it's for personal yeah. Comp- yeah. consumption right mm-hmm. yeah but yeah, no, so we've done that, and I've you know made homemade beer. I've done all yeah. kinds of things like that. I used to write a, a monthly marketing column for the National uh, uh, Micro Brewing Magazine, mm-hmm. and that was kind of fun going to to uh, beer conferences mm-hmm. around around the country. Mm-hmm. I remember in Denver once we were at this one hotel, and in their uh, meeting space down Concourse A was the American Home. Or, no, the American Microbrewers Conference and uh, Concourse B was the Christian Temperance Union, and I just stood there like tingling, <laughs> looking at it like it was a, a joke somebody put together just for me. Like, which way do you walk down? But I thought that was strange. So <laughs> maybe uh, that was your intuition talking to yeah, you. Yeah, Mark. yeah, yeah. So um, you've got uh, just an amazing background with. Uh, having worked in all sorts of different industries in the work that you do. Um, but um, I'm, I'm disappointed, Mark, nope. as I shared with you Me right too. Before, yeah, <laughs> before we got onto the show, that you don't list your, your experience 
playing soccer for the Crusaders. That's when you right. Were at, when yep. you were at Phoenix College. Yep. We Dave and I played together on the team for for years and years and had a lot of fun doing it. Made a lot of good lifetime friends yeah, from all yeah. over the world. So yeah. it was quite a group. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. Do you have a favorite book? You know, I read hundreds of magazines. I, I, be, even though being a writer, I never read like novels. Yeah, I yeah, read, yeah. you know, technical things. I yeah. subscribe. I probably read thirty different magazines a mm-hmm. month. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't sit there and have a favorite author or things like yeah. that. So yeah. it's kind yeah. of unusual. Plus, I look at things from a technical aspect, even like movies. I'm analyzing uh-huh. how uh-huh. the production is done more than I am following the plot. Uh-huh. My son will tell me after the fact, well, you know, in the last, you know, Avengers movie, this happened, which led to that. It's like, oh, really? I had no idea. I was just looking at the effects. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, that's how I would see things like that. So it does, it sort of messes you up to, in a, to a certain extent. It's kind of... Well, I mean, it makes perfect sense that you're wanting to read what... Uh just reinforces your area of work and, and yeah. uh, it's not unusual for people to focus their time on you know magazines or publications that support the work you do it's just we ask yeah. people just out of curiosity sure. uh, is there anybody who who inspired you particularly I mean, there are people in advertising that you mm-hmm. looked up to their work, and a lot mm-hmm. of them are, are some of the old, most famous people, and mm-hmm. like a Bill Burnback from Doyle Dane Burnback, who mm-hmm. did the Volkswagen campaign back mm-hmm. in the in the '60s that mm-hmm. got attention. He was sort of the first contrarian to do stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. So he'd run an ad with a Volkswagen Beetle, and the headline would just say "Lemon" on it, and they talk about how one out of every ten thousand Volkswagens might have some flaw, but they catch it in time and mm-hmm. put it to the side. But nobody'd advertise that they're their product doesn't work. It's kind of like, you know, I've worked on, on uh, lotteries, and there's no product in the world that fails as much as a lottery. If, right, you know, if right. 99 out of 100 cars you bought wouldn't start, you would stop buying those cars. But lottery <laughs> tickets, you come back, and there again, That's you're not buying, a, you know, you're not buying a lottery ticket. You're buying the, the right to dream that you right. might be a millionaire tomorrow, yeah, you know. Yeah. But you can't overpromise that. Too many... Uh, Lottery commercials or casino commercials show people waving fistfuls of money saying they won, and that's just setting people up for disappointment. But it's the anticipation that you're paying for. You know, it's it's just like people would be talking about the lottery like, oh, God, it's $400 million and then, you know, I'd buy a car and this and that. And you'd say, well, do you have a ticket? Uh, no, not yet. Well, you should get one because yeah. to be able to dream like you just did yeah you ought to at least be in the race so right right it's kind of like buying a fantasy yep that's it so that's what you're paying for for that yeah and it's worth it you know when you think the thrill you get just daydreaming for a dollar you know it was one of my lines you can't get more excitement for a buck and it's true (laughs) yeah you think about it and that is what you're paying for yeah yeah uh I like that. Yeah. I like that. You can't get more excitement for a buck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my other line that's lasted for decades was, you can't win if you don't play. And so that's yeah. the whole thing. If you don't, uh, you know, you're not buying into it, you're not allowed to uh, to dream about it. Your dream yeah. is invalid. So I still hear that today. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, sorry to jump back a little mm-hmm. bit, but how do you... So I'm curious to know what is the criteria for judging uh, barbecue sauce. That's what I'm really. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's you know. Well, the thing is, Sean always focuses yeah. on the food. Right. Yeah, I'm getting hungry over here. Well, what's interesting is that your your each person's taste buds are different, and they're meant to uh, evaluate every single item that's given to them 
according to their, you know, to their own, well, more to industry standard kind of taste. You can't do it like I hate hot food, therefore I'm going to give every hot entry a, a zero or yeah, something. Right, right. But you have to accept it for what it is. If it's a spicy entree and you're not a big spice person, that's okay. Don't overly punish them for that. But yeah. you're, you know, you're looking for taste and tenderness and is it overly smoky? Is it undersmoked? Yeah. Is it uh, tough? Is it overcooked? So, you know, fall off the bone isn't a good thing in barbecue competition. That's a no-no. If you fall do that. off the bone is a no-no. Yeah, that's a bad thing. It's, huh. You know, you're supposed to, with a rib, supposed to take a bite and have a clean half circle, but the meat still sort of hangs in there a bit. But if you go to a restaurant where you can just pull the bones out of a rack of ribs, they've overcooked it and it's just mush. So, yeah. Yeah. But a lot of people like it that way and talk about that, so... Are there different, like, groupings then, like uh, purpose of the meat or the... Mm -hmm. Well, you start off with appearance. Everybody gets to look at the entry, each one. You hold it up to the to the table of six, and, uh, you know, you say this is entry number one, two, three, and they'll double-blind it so they switch numbers so nobody knows who made the, the stuff, and everybody will take a look, and does it look appealing to you? Does it make you want to wanna eat it? So you judge it on that. So if it looks like, you know, the, the ribs aren't cut cleanly and they're have a lot of fat on them or things like that you'd give it a bad grade but uh or if it looks like man that's the prettiest rack of ribs i've ever seen you'd give it a, a high score on that and then again you judge on taste what you you know what do you think about the overall taste and you're and it is a meat contest we tell you don't overly dwell on any sauces that they put on there you know some may not even be sauced you know a lot of barbecue people don't eat ribs with sauce on them they just eat them with a like a dry rub on it mm -hmm. and um and then tenderness is, you know, how how good is it? Although there are a lot of ways that people play around with entries that they're injecting them with, uh, like, parquet margarine and stuff. You know, when you bite on one and it squirts out at like a clam, and the person <laughs> sitting across from you, they've pumped it full of uh, of oil or, or broth or yeah, something yeah. there. So it's kind of unnatural the way it's done now. I'm more old school. I'd... Everything I do is with a bone still in it and all that, but a lot of times they now uh, chicken entry in most barbecue contests looks like a little hockey puck because they take the bone out of it and they <laughs> put seasoning in all the layers and wrap the skin around and put yeah. it in a muffin tin to cook it and all that. So, uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> um, so what would you say is like really important to you in your life, and how would you, how does your your passions and, and your job play into that? Well, you know, family always would come first, and in my family, I met my wife through my job at our agency when it first started. Uh, we hired my wife's sister at the, uh, you know, who I, she wasn't my my wife at the time, but hired her as our media person, and so her sister would come to visit her for lunch, and and uh, I always enjoyed seeing her when she'd come in, and we've been married for 40 years now, so. That was a good side benefit of <laughs> of advertising, although it can happen in any business. So. Nice. Yeah. What would you have done differently? Well, you know, I've had opportunities to to go to take other jobs that I didn't take, and you never know what what would have happened with that. I mean, early on in years ago, having worked with a lot of Hollywood talent. Uh, 
you know, I've, I've worked with different ones who liked what I did and said, you ought to come to Hollywood. And, you know, they'd talk me up to different producers and say, you ought to bring this guy in as a writer on this TV show or whatever. And, and I didn't really pursue those because I was born and raised here in Phoenix. My wife yeah, is yeah. from here and all that and wouldn't, and wouldn't leave my brother. But it does make you wonder if I had gone on, would I be some uh, Hollywood producer being sued for sexual harassment by now? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, just never know. That's right. But that's, uh, that's sort of my life in a nutshell. So, Mark, you know, um, we... Um, we're now at a time in our lives where, you know, we've kind of had a career and whatnot, and you're looking at maybe, I don't know, retiring or doing something different or whatnot. I you know, don't know. But I'm curious about what what else would you like to accomplish before you, you know, decide just to go play golf or you know, I'm what, not what sure. soccer? <laughs> the thing in what I do is you yeah. never have a, uh, you don't get a gold watch and retire one day. The phone just stops ringing, and yeah. and that means nobody wants your headlines anymore. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. sort of get either forced into retirement early, or you, you hang in there, or you still are going strong as yeah. it goes on. So I, I get, I don't look for work. I get more than enough from all of the contacts I have in yeah. the business, and so I'm just a happy guy doing what I'm doing, but it would be uh, fun one day when my wife and I both retire and we can get back into traveling. We used to travel a lot because yeah. of the, the days of frequent flyer miles when everybody's giving double and triple miles. I'd travel so much to to Hollywood and, and right. New York and Asheville and all that that I'd accumulate a lot of miles. So every year we'd go somewhere different. We'd go to Scandinavia or we'd go right. to Brazil or we'd yeah. go on the Orient Express or we'd go... And do something unique and fun, and um, and so now, you know, you don't have to travel anywhere because everything you do from the comfort of your computer. So, right. recording sessions are just sitting and listening in on your phone, and uh, and so which is perfectly fine with me because it's not as much fun to, to travel now as it as it used to be before mm-hmm. you could just jump right on a flight without getting a body cavity search. <laughs> Although a good one of those is equally pleasant. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's great that's great so <clears throat> for our listeners what advice would you have for any of them that might be interested in pursuing a career as a creative di- uh, director well usually creative directors do come from one of two disciplines either on the art side so either now nowadays you have to be a computer expert and you know in graphic designer uh, mm-hmm. that, that there's a lot more technical uh, things like that because, uh, you know, I've spent my career looking over shoulders of people who know how, what, what are the right buttons to push, but if they said, here, you sit down, you do it. It's like, I don't know, I'm a two-fingered typist, but I've been a writer my entire life. I've never gone beyond that. So it, uh, the technical aspect is uh, something I never really uh, developed. Mm-hmm. But, uh, no, it's just, you know, learn how to do it and get in whatever way you can with an ad agency or a design firm. Now that's sort of clouded the areas. Today it's much more important to be uh, in tune with social media and that's what they're looking for, social experts and stuff and people that know Google AdWords and, and all that kind of stuff. I mean what we're doing right now is exactly what's taken over the days of big budget commercials yeah, and, yeah. and stuff. So everything is online now and that's uh, spend way more time writing websites and, uh-huh. and online articles and things mm-hmm. like that than mm-hmm. 
than the old radio, TV, newspaper days. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as a result, you know, newspapers are going out of business left and right because right. their readership is dying off. So, so mm -hmm. they go to online mm -hmm. equivalents and stuff, and that's where the, the money is for them now. Yeah. I, you know, I saw something, interestingly enough, on American Greed last night, and it was about this uh, company that discovered that by having um, more blogs about their uh, products, mm -hmm. they would get a higher rating in Google, right? So that mm -hmm. makes sense, mm -hmm. right? But it didn't matter if the content was positive or negative. Mm. And so what this guy did, I'm not going to get into the details, yeah. you know, the names and all that, but what he did is, is that he realized that it, the worse his products were, the more <laughs> negative complaints that he would get. Sure. And yeah. it would drive more customers to his website. That's funny. Yeah, no, the more clicks, you know, yeah. pay per click is what yeah. it's all about. And yeah. so that's why, you know, we've had clients that say, you know, I want a viral video that costs, you know, 10 cents to produce but gets a million people look at it. And it's like, unless you're, you know, going to saw off your arm on camera that you're not going to get a million <laughs> hits in a day or something you know, you know. this one client was a was a home builder and they yeah. were using two by six instead of two by fours and i yeah. said unless you you know beat someone to death with a two by six you know you're not going <laughs> to you're not going to get all this crazy uh, viewership so <laughs> so there's something that you said earlier a couple of times uh in the examples that you gave about being able to get into the head of the, um, you know, the people that you're trying to attract to an ad or something. What uh, wisdom would you share with uh, the creative types who might be listening uh, and how to get there? Well, I think the real thing is to be honest, you uh -huh. know, uh, in, in what you, everything that you do, you know, whether it's the, the people that you work with, you want them to, to be taken care of, and whether it's, uh, you know, the message that you're trying to give because you don't, you know, you got to, you know, tell the truth. There's one of the major agencies that their uh, their theme line is tru uh -huh. truth well told. And I always thought that's a great line because uh -huh. that's what you're doing. You're telling telling the truth, but you're doing it in an informative, entertaining, you know, storyteller way. Uh -huh. And that's how you can take something mundane and, you know, make it sound interesting and worthy of, uh, of repeat and discussing among friends and things. So, but in any business, that's the, the way to do things. So, yeah, be honest in all that you do. Now that, mm -hmm. that that's very powerful. So you're uh, somewhat familiar with uh, what this show's about, with the be, dream, do mm -hmm. um, uh, approach uh, to life, and kind of the impetus of this discussion was a Gallup poll survey where they found out that only fifteen percent of employees around the world are really passionate about the work they're doing. Hmm. What a waste, right? Yeah. I mean, oh, what, a what a terrible waste. But wanted to get your perspective. Uh, how does that be, dream, do uh, perspective resonate with you? I think very well. I think the, the, the idea is to, you know, you, you know, if you can't be passionate about something you're working on, you can't expect other people to do it for you. So you have to to embrace whatever it is you do and and enjoy it you know it doesn't have to be uh you know it's not meant to be tortuous to to go to work every day if you you know if there are people around you you like or the product is something that is a benefit to people at large and you know you have to look for the good and, and everything and everyone mm -hmm. but uh that's you know and in advertising that's how it is because people are you know cynical about the category in general they figure yeah. you're you know 
you're selling. Uh, there was a great ad campaign campaign by the American Association of Ad Advertising Agencies called the Four A's, and they did one. This is many many years ago, but they had all these falsehoods like advertising will sell you something you don't need, and it had like a a beautiful woman with shaving cream on about to draw a razor across her <laughs> face and stuff, and it's like no, you know, you can't sell something to somebody they don't want or care about all you're doing is presenting things and if it interests them they'll look further into it and uh uh, but that's uh you know there are a lot of falsehoods in that where everybody thinks that it's carnival barkers that's why like the tv show um oh god what's the shark tank yeah yeah. where they do the uh you know it always makes my skin crawl i haven't watched it many times but the people get up there and they're like carnival barkers when they present their idea and it's like that's not how advertising works you don't get up there and then you will do this and that and it it horrifies me because that's their perception of what it's all you know what it must be like and it's like no you're having a one-on-one conversation with the the viewer the buyer the whatever and it's that same way in a meeting with a client you're having a one-on-one conversation saying we're all in this for the same reason we have something we want to, to to do or have happen so that's uh that's kind of strange when when people think that's what it's all about is being pt barnum and that's far from the truth mark um thank you so much for coming uh coming to be on our show today uh, be honest in all that you do mark Mata, creative director thank you so much do what you love and love what you do stay tuned for our show next week Same day, same time. Thank you for joining David and his guest. Make sure to catch Be, Dream, Do, Living by Design every week right here on StarWorldWideNetworks.com.